This is the Qatar Grand Prix review on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about everything in the race, including why we love Fernando Alonso, what happened between the Max versus Lewis fight, could the result have been different if Max didn't have a penalty, why we love Fernando Alonso, what happened to Pierre Gasly, why were McLaren a bit too slow, were Ferrari actually having a good weekend at the end or a bad one, why we love Fernando Alonso, how was the race at Qatar, Christian Honor's uh, antics, if you can call it that, with the stewards and whatnot. And as you guessed it, why we love Fernando Alonso. All of this and more on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. Let's begin. Hey, folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. My name is Somil Arora, joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. Kunal, this is a circuit. You, or even Formula One, has never visited before. And the expectations, honestly, of a good race over here were pretty dim. But I've only got two words to say. Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the overall rating of the race uh, would be better if we were to ask all the fans. Just because Fernando Alonso got onto the podium after seven long years. And... You know, I was I was listening in as always on the on the radio channel, and he actually said, "I waited seven years for this moment. The minute he crossed the line, that's what he said." So, had it not been for Fernando Alonso, I think it would have been a fairly average race. You know, like uh, like Mercedes told Lewis that you know overtaking isn't as hard as everyone expected it to be. There were cars that were moving around the place, uh, moving around positions all the time. But mm. yes, Fernando Alonso, what a drive, what a result. Incredible. It's amazing. And, and about Fernando Canal, instantly, right? Okay, we, we can take a second to analyze the race, the whole race after Fernando, right? It's been seven years, so we can hold uh, horses on that one. But with, with Fernando Canal, there's always this big question. Why... Did Gasly not do that? Why did Gasly drop off? Why was Alonso able to hold on? And eventually, of course, the VSC uh, helped Fernando Alonso to get the podium. But what an electric moment to see him on the podium, to see his elation and even his message to Esteban Ocon, which didn't quite work out. But tell Esteban to defend like a lion. He couldn't, but Alonso drove like one. And even that start where he just blocked Max Verstappen off. Classic Fernando. Classic. Just shows he's got he's lost none of that. And if... Alpine come up with a half competitive car next season. <laughs> Fernando will make up for the other half. Literally speaking, yeah. that's what he's going to do. And you know, all in all, uh, I love I love uh, how he approached the weekend. And you know, he he's had a fairly good run in. He's had good qualifyings, and you know, suddenly he's been spun out at some point or tagged and so on. But you know, specifically here, he was on the pace. And like he said, Alpine doesn't know why the the Losail International Circuit suited their racing car. So hopefully they figure that out and they're able to make it uh, work even in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. Maybe it's the Middle Eastern flavor that appeals to the Alpine car. Who knows, you know? So if that's the case, the next two races could very well be a treat. But you asked a very pertinent question. Why... Could Fernando make it work? And why could, uh, you know, Pierre Gasly not make it work? So two reasons. Of course, Fernando was the highest finishing one stopper. Extreme tire management. And it helped that 
you know, P1 and P2 were so far ahead that he could just focus on his race and drive to, you know, drive to his strategy, which was to make sure that he finishes on the one stopper. But in the case of Pierre Gasly, and Gasly actually put it very well post-race. So he said, we had both cars starting ahead of the Alpines, but mm-hmm. both the Alpha Tauris actually finished outside of the top 10. And he was on the radio post-race and he said, I did not have one single fast lap. If I would push, the tires would give up on me at the next corner. So he actually just had a lot of cars set up and balance issues is what I'm assuming. But yes, you know, we normally celebrate Gasly for having an invisible race. I'm so glad we are celebrating Fernando for having such a visible race in Qatar. And it could have been so close at the end with Sergio Perez. No, had that VSC come in, no, had that VSC not come in, things would have been literally so much different. And as you mentioned at the start, Kunal, maybe we wouldn't be rejoicing in this episode. Maybe we would have been saying, what if? But let's just take a second to put this into context, right? Seven years, Kunal. As David Croft instantly said on the Sky broadcast, the last time Fernando was on the podium, neither of Sainz or Verstappen were on the grid at that time as well. And and that's that's just ridiculous. No Charlotte Leclerc, no your Russells, no your Norris's. But, but that's such a long while ago. In fact, that was the time when Bottas was at, at Williams and Williams were actually a proper team, you know? This is just crazy how much time has gone past. And, and, and the, the exciting flavor of Fernando is still there. As you mentioned, nothing going away. And even at 40, that's, that's crazy. I wish he never hangs up his boots, just like Kimi Raikkonen, yeah. you know, we were all wishing for, but Kimi, of course, does. And what I really like about Fernando specifically this season is he has returned to Formula One, but he has mm. not found it tough at all to, you know, put Esteban Ocon on the sidelines. And I don't think that's great uh, advertisement for Esteban's uh, uh, talent. And Esteban, let's remember, he actually gave Checo Perez uh, a, a you know quite tough fight when they were teammates at Racing Point and Force India at that time, right? So, yes, Fernando, keep doing what you're doing. You're fantastic, and I really can't uh, you know wait to see how it all turns up in 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 Saudi because you know momentum is what he will be hoping works on him as well as his Alpine racing car. But now. Momentum is on Mercedes and Hamilton's side. And seriously, the fact that it's taken us around six and a half minutes to get to Lewis Hamilton tells you what kind of a sublime drive he had this weekend. Just spot on. And by the way, if you just had to watch one piece of footage from the entire weekend, again, in my opinion, that is, just watch the qualifying lap of Hamilton and especially the final couple of sectors because the way he attacked every corner, it it was a race. It was a race. Largely one in qualifying, and one wonders, Kunal, or one is equal to me in this case, at least I wonder, had the double wave yellow penalty hadn't come to Max Verstappen, would the result have been a bit different? Because eventually, as we saw, it was about track position. And once Mercedes had it, once they were able to build that gap in that first stint, in which Hamilton was superb, by the way, they just had to cover off whatever Red Bull was doing, and they did that fairly well. They they did that fairly well, I would say. And to, to put it into perspective in terms of Hamilton's uh, qualifying lap, right? Firstly, two races in a row when Lewis Hamilton has actually had, you know, a gap of more than four tenths to the driver in second place. And that to me is incredible. 
And what was even more shocking was that Hamilton did not use his Brazil-introduced power unit or engine, uh, since we know it was the ICE, uh, in the qualifying in Qatar. So it was not just down to you know Mercedes's uh, power unit advantage or fresh power unit ad- advantage, as one would think. And talking about Max Verstappen and his penalty, uh, I must say, you know, yes, uh, the Red Bull camp have been very vocal about the whole, uh, uh, you know, the marshalling that uh, that happened in Qatar and uh, did that sort of catch out Max Verstappen. I'm hoping there is some sort of more explanation towards that because. Sam Collins, you know, the guy who hosts F1 TV Tech Talk, he said that Max's, you know, steering dash did not have the message from race control. Okay, uh, he, he did not have a message from the team saying there are double wave yellows. However, the Marshall Post out there did wave the double yellow. So it's just about then seeing that do you just react to any place you see yellow? Could it be a fan in the stands, you know, sort of? <laughs> just a yellow flag uh, or, or what. But yeah, talking about the penalty, Max was pretty vocal as well after the, the race. He said, penalty or not, P2 is what we could have managed. So he was pretty happy. He was pretty chuffed after the race. He said, hey, I enjoyed the race. You know, I'm, I'm glad I finished in P2, you know. Championship, uh, uh, you know, damage limitation, as everyone's been calling it for the last two weekends. And... Uh, I, I think it was just Lewis and his his fantastic uh, Mercedes that just gave him the race win. He was unchallenged. You know, Max just sat in like a seven, eight second gap and didn't bother anything, didn't bother to do anything about it. And mm. uh, to be honest, uh, starting uh, where Max did and then quickly finding himself up into P2 was pretty fantastic. You know, he made a great start. He mm. overtook Gasly and then he overtook Fernando. Uh, and, and he was, you know, suddenly where he should have been. And Max Verstappen still has the record of finishing either only in P1 or P2 in the race this entire season. We're oh, 20 damn. races in. So he's either been P1, P2, or he's not finished a race, right? And I think, I think that's pretty incredible. And if we were to go back to his last no score, it was in Azerbaijan where he was, of course, leading the race and would have had 25 points and whatever and whatever. So he is having a fantastic run uh, this season. But the question has to be asked, should they be worried? Should they be like, oh, yeah. my God, what's happening, Samuel? I was thinking about that. Uh, has Verstappen gone mature or has he gone just plain boring? Because normally Max would... would uh, okay, let me phrase this correctly. He would be pointing a few things out on the radio, right? That we're not doing this, we're not doing that, as Lewis did yesterday, right? He was asking questions even when they were in the most comfortable of situations. He was saying, well, maybe it's a bit too early to stop. So maybe I thought Max would do something like that. And, and Max previously has done that. So maybe there's an inclination towards seeing something like that happen. But he's been eerily calm and quiet on the radio if you, one can call it that way. And in a way, it's good. One can call it the uh, the maturation of Max Verstappen. But this sort of quiet confidence, Kunal, is... I, I'm not sure what this is, but it's it's actually exciting for the last couple of races that if Red Bull are not panicked about anything at all, which, frankly, if any of, her, any of us would be in the same situation, we would be wondering quite a lot, or at least show a hint of it in the media. But they're not doing that at all. Instead, all they have to complain about is a marshal just causing a little bit of confusion with the flags. What's going on at Red Bull? I, I think 
you know to to me their their calmness is is a little eerie it's like it's like yeah. they have something in the bag and they know about it and that's why they're just fairly confident that yeah we're in p2 you know and so what like what's wrong if you're p2 <laughs> and of course it's not the p2 that should have get should get them to panic it's the fact that they're unable to challenge the mercedes that's mm. making everybody else panic so either either red bull know what they have in the bag or they just are like that's it we have a lead uh, you know lewis and mercedes have to do all the catch up which means they need to take all the risk means they are on the pressure they are they are on the limit more than we need to be and we'll see where this goes so it's it's a bit of both of that i would say but however i think you know the whole red bull uh drama is being amplified by christian honors antics and shenanigans yeah. like he he's like okay today is a new day what's a new crass statement that i can make against uh toto wolf or mercedes or he gives respect to lewis hamilton <laughs> of course or to the fia you know and suddenly he'll he'll find a mic and he'll have to say something which becomes like headlines so maybe i tweeted about this but maybe everyone needs to go tell christian honor that they can still win these world titles without him making over the top emotional uh headline worthy statements every time a mic is shoved on his face <laughs> oh my word that's that's true uh, maybe something <laughs> oh, hang on maybe this must be something uh, with the red bull in the team because helmut marko also has a habit of saying stuff like that when he's in the media right we've often known him to be a bit different when he's not interacting with the media but otherwise yeah helmut marko can be a bit 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 tricky with that as well but before getting to sergio perez conal your your genuine thoughts on the whole uh, yellow flag kind of thing i know we spoke briefly about it early on a couple of minutes ago but it really seemed confusing because in our own uh, in our own whatsapp group as well for pitch to podium and the inside line f1 podcast we were discussing well is it a yellow or not because potas and max improved but there were yellow flags how do you look at this whole incident as such the, like i said you know at, at the end of the day it seems like there was a bit of a mismatch i don't i i think calling him a, or her a rogue marshal is a little is a step too far right uh hmm. you know why did race control uh messaging not show up the way it did on track and of course you know michael marcy is taken the side of the marshals just as he should because marshals are volunteers they give thousands exactly. of man hours uh, you know through the whole year for every motorsport category so that we can go and have safe racing but he went and he of course said that marshal thought that there was a risk on track and that marshal then decided that the yellow flag had to be waved and that's what the drivers have to respect and yes that sounds like uh, the way it should be but uh, i don't know why of course then it did not function the same way with race control as well right so it's like mm. for 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 the 19 races this year if there was a sync between what race control and the marshals were doing suddenly on the 20th race if that's off sync caught out uh you know verstappen and bottas it's of course something that their teams or especially in this case red bull would highlight that's that's my reading yeah and 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 rogue maybe a bit too harsh right? especially I mean of course you won't be thinking about it but it was also the world volunteers day in terms of motorsport as well so that that's a bit of a bad timing kind of situation with Christian Honor but bad timing was 
I think the word used by everyone everywhere with Sergio Perez's strategy, Kunal, because really it seemed like Red Bull wanted to make it hard for him. Of course, now, two ways to read this. One way to read this is, of course, as I mentioned, Red Bull are deliberately trying to make it hard for him because after his first pit stop, he came out came right behind Sebastian Vettel in the second one as well. He had to fight all the way back. But the other way of looking at it would be that they relied on him to make overtakes as it was becoming increasingly easier. Which way do you look at this? And uh, I mean, at least in my take, again, hindsight is really powerful. And this is a nice comfy chair. It's, it's a lot comfy than the strategists one uh, that they have, strategists one that they have on the track. But in hindsight, it may seem like they, they kind of made it harder for themselves. No, they could have had that podium, to be honest. Not that we would like it, but still. The the thing is, Checo Perez starting P11 is actually mm-hmm. why his strategy was compromised first up. Okay, that's that's my reading. Because so that he could be in a faster car, so that he could make all the overtakes, so that he would jump other drivers who were on a one-stopper, they had to put him on a put him on a two stopper and this of course started with them having a relatively short first stint of just 19 odd laps that he had on on that particular compound right on the medium compound and then to expect a checo perez who is of course known as the master of tire management to go the other you know if he's to to go the other 30 odd laps on on the on the hards uh was probably a little too too much i i, I would say and Red Bull, after a point, just realized that if he is able to overtake, overtaking is easier on track. There is a significant delta advantage that, you know, uh, uh, significant delta that uh, Checo Perez has in terms of an advantage to the other drivers. Then why not have him overtake cars on track? And he actually did that. You know, he I think he he doubled his overtaking uh, you know, a uh, number of overtakes he's made in the season, whoever's <laughs> keeping a track of that, he doubled that in, in the race in Qatar. And could he have been on the podium? Yes. Had there not been a virtual safety car, maybe he would have fought Alonso. We would have loved to see Alonso fight and keep that podium against a Perez. Uh, but all in all, I think him him just starting in P11 uh, put him, put, put Red Bull in a slightly off spot to try and make a single stopper work, I would say, Samuel. And how else do you read a P11 in qualifying as, uh, other than P11 in qualifying, it was just not a very good lap eventually. And, and so sad to see that being compromised. But even still, even still, I think he could have got there again. The VSE came right there in the middle, right? So it's not like they really miss out on a lot. It just would have been a little bit easier for them eventually. But tyres, Kunal, that was one thing you briefly mentioned about 30 laps and that window of the tyres. It's crazy because... There were so many tires exploding. Again, if you saw the race, you saw that there were at least three or four punctures in the race than Gasly in qualifying. And again, the reason behind that is the curbing tunnel. But how odd is it that it's also the hard tires and a couple of mediums as well, and both in a similar range around 30? Weren't the hard supposed to last a little bit longer and supposed to be a little more durable in that sense? I, I think, you know, it was a mix of, of course, F1 not having raced here. Lots of uh, you know, mm-hmm. lots of forces being put through the cars since the high-speed sections are, you know, what everyone enjoyed so much at the at the Grand Prix. And then, of course, the curbs, especially the exit curbs that we've seen, you know, for example, what Gasly hit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was just a mix of all of that. And 
which is probably why Checo Perez was also made to pit twice because Red Bull realized it's best to, you know, with Bottas out of the running, it's better for them to just make sure that Checo gets a great result in terms of points for Constructors' Championship than to yeah. risk a, a DNF and, and so on. But yeah, you're right. The tire should have lasted a little longer. Uh, you know, uh, especially, you know, with the way Nicolas Latifi and Valtteri Bottas, you know, both of them actually turned around and said, I had enough grip and the tire just gave up without any warning. Now, that's to me the scarier part. Uh, but that's hmm. also, you know, sort of what happened to Lance Stroll and, and uh, you know, uh, Max Verstappen in Azerbaijan as well. So it's it's just how the Pirelli tire goes, I guess, unfortunately. Yeah, a bit sad to see so many races being compromised the way it was and one wonders what could have happened. But especially in the case of McLaren Canal, because that's a point where... We saw things go a bit, a bit iffy uh, in the in the last few races, and it's gone even worse. And talking about McLaren makes me want to start off with Ferrari in this case because there's a very interesting discussion going about whether you can place Ferrari as a winner in this race or a loser because pace wise they really were nowhere. Alpine and AlphaTauri in qualifying were better, and. Yeah, McLaren, in some parts, McLaren with London Norris were faster as well, but they eventually salvaged a pretty decent result. So would you classify them as winner or loser today? Of this weekend, rather? I, I would say that uh, Ferrari, and I'm just reading the results out here, they uh-huh. scored P7 and P8. Of course, you all know that. That's equal to 10 points, right? That mm-hmm. is their second lowest score in a Grand Prix in 2021 that is if they've scored points so of course in france as we all know they did not score points but in portugal they finished p6 and p11 and they scored eight points so to me ferrari could have actually done better but it was probably just the nature of the circuit that caught them out but frankly at this stage uh of the of the championship ferrari would just have been very very pleased that they outscored mclaren uh by eight points and you know, McLaren, just again, a bit of bad luck, I would say, because Lando Norris had a late race puncture. He had to pit. Otherwise, he was pretty confident he would have finished P4. And then Daniel Ricciardo had the, the weirdest uh, race issue that I have you know, probably heard of in the last several years, I would say. Uh, he was in fuel-saving mode for pretty much all race. That's what he said. And that's what the team, of course, has backed him up as well. And then he... When he was saving fuel, he was asked to save even more fuel. And then, of course, they think that it was down to just incorrect calculations or worse Mm. data collection. And, you know, Daniel actually said after this that I was driving in fuel saving mode for so long that after a point, I just had cold tires and cold brakes and everything else. And I had just nowhere to go. And and, uh, it's just unfortunate that that's how it just turned out for for Daniel Ricciardo. And, you know, I'm going to now throw up the, the, the race fastest laps. And I just want to make sure that, uh, like, for example, Daniel Ricciardo was only 14th fastest. Uh, Yikes. That too, only on the 50th lap of the race. So that was when, after a point, he said, you know what, guys, I'm just going to go and drive my race and we'll see where it goes. So, uh, just very, very unfortunate for, for Daniel Ricciardo and, of course, then for McLaren because they are now almost 40 points adrift from Ferrari. And honestly, they haven't been that bad as well, right? It's just a couple of bad races where things haven't gone their way. 
and honestly, same with Alpha Tauri as well, because in both the fights, Kunal, that we proclaimed to be the best fights of the year after Lewis and Max, and we thought that this is going to be the one that entertains us. If that one doesn't, both of them are gone. Two races left to go. And it's like it's like the Formula One gods, if they exist, just want us to focus on one thing and one thing. All the other battles are clearing up. They're all clearing up. And it's just, they're saying, that's it. Just watch Max and Lewis yeah. because... P3 <laughs> seems settled in, in you know, Ferrari's favor, like you said. P5 after yesterday, it's going to be settled in Alpine's favor as well. That's almost 25-point gap Alpine has pulled up. And yeah. uh, there's still one battle, which I hope, you know, again, settles in the, in the correct direction. Nikita Mazepin is 21st oh. in a 20-driver championship. Robert Kubica, in just two races, managed to you know, sneak up into 20th place. So let's see if Nikita is able to strike back. <laughs> and uh, of course, you might be wondering how, because both of them don't score points, but that's just based on their best results, right? And what was Kubica's best results? Well, we'll find out. But you know, before 14th. we just finish off, 14th, 14th. Ah. <laughs> uh, let's see. In, in let's, context, see. let's see on that In one. context, uh, Mazepin has finished 14th. It was in Azerbaijan, but uh-huh. that, but you know, Kubica's fourteenth was in in uh, in Monza, and before yeah. that uh, in Sanford, Kubica was fifteen. So it was, it's just that Kubica sneaked up ahead, and after that, of course, uh, Mazepin has got eighteen, twenty, seventeen, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. So there we go. He's racing with himself, you know, right now. Uh, it, it's like a ghost lap kind of thing where you can see Robert Kubica, but he's not quite here. Ah, this is fun. But before we wrap off, Kunal, uh, a, a thought and a word on Lance Stoll and Aston Martin, because finally a good result for them after what feels like ages now. This is a bit of a relief of really what's been a terrible year for them so far. It, it is. He scored, uh, he was P6. I think he drove a pretty good race as well. Uh, especially after the start and he made a single stopper work for, for himself, which is good. And, you know, it's not fairly often that Lance Stroll has such great races. And hmm. he scored uh, for, for, uh, for P6, he got eight points, which is his highest ever score in a Grand Prix this season, right? So it is his huh. best finish that he scored. And then races like these are when you believe what on earth is Sebastian Vettel up to? because. Mm. He, he just got P10 and one point, and that's about it. So it's just how it goes with with uh, with the Aston Martin uh, team, I would say, Samuel. Yeah, Vettel got stuck in behind Bottas, and things really got complicated over there. But complicated it is not until the end of the season. Essentially, winner takes all right down to the very end. Eight points, if I'm not mistaken, the gap, whatever it is. Yeah, it's pretty close, that one. Heading into Saudi Arabia. Finally, Kunal, a word to describe this race and your final thoughts on this weekend before we wrap up for today. I think it was a very good uh, inaugural race for Formula One in Qatar on track. Uh, you know, it wasn't a boring race as we all thought it would be. And like I like we've mm. spoken over the last 25-odd minutes, right? There were several battles that happened, even if there wasn't a battle up front. And I also loved how, uh, you know, Football World Cup was being promoted at a Formula One Grand Prix. There was a goal to grid or a grid to goal competition, you know, footballers versus 
drivers in a penalty shootout that happened on Saturday. We had David Beckham. And then we had Stefano Dominicali's, you know, posing with two gentlemen, one with the Formula One World Championship trophy and the other with the FI World Cup trophy. So the most popular uh, uh, trophy in the world of uh, sport, which, of course, to me yeah. is the Formula One World Championship trophy, was, <laughs> was promoting the F FIFA World Cup uh football uh, trophy uh this weekend so all in all a, a very good weekend Samuel. and you have to tell me what was your takeaway from there as well uh, a, a takeaway from this final presentation thing was that the qatar gp trophy actually looks better than the world cup because it's, it's a bit bigger feels more feels more grander right but again it's a take that could get me into trouble but then i, I hold myself accountable for it just my thoughts but also, fun thing to take away. I never knew that Qatar's national anthem was so much fun to listen to. That Daniel Ricciardo was having a fun time with it as well. And he was just dancing along to it, which basically describes the weekend for me. Qatar, we didn't know, would be surprisingly pleasant. And it was pleasant. And Fernando Alonso made it better. Eventually, I think everyone left with a big smile over there. And if Max Verstappen can leave that place with a big smile, so can you, right? So that's, that's good fun, all things around for this weekend. But folks... Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium. See you for the Saudi Arabian GP. If the track is ready, by the way, we're still not sure about that. So let's wait and see how that goes. But thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this episode, Kunal. We shall see you in a little bit. Bye-bye.